Father, I thank you so much for today, truly, Lord. What a, what a blessing to take a breath. Um, God, I pray we'd all just be able to sit in that, that there's people in this world that would trade anything to be where we're at. And uh, forgive us sometimes for being short-sighted. I pray, man, that you would move. Um, in a world that's so chaotic, God, we need your stability. We need your truth. And I just pray that we would all look for that as hard as we look for distraction and joy and the next uh, trend that we'd be just as present. Uh, man, and that you would make yourself a reality um, to all those here in whatever ways we need. And I pray that you would uh, protect us, not only enemy snares and attacks, that be, we'd be able to focus, uh, that this time would be honoring to you. I pray you bless it, and I pray, God, uh, that you would help me to preach your word, not only your word, preach it well, and that I wouldn't get in your way, get in the way, <laughs> and uh, just give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ, let me pray. Amen. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, that's good. It's exciting. Uh, well, welcome to the Random Names Todd. I'm the pastor here. We are coming to the end. Really could have ended today. So that's where we're at. We're at the in a series called Culture Wars in which we are talking about just the battle that we're in as believers. If you're in this room, you are in a world at war. doesn't matter if you feel that way. doesn't matter if you think that. doesn't matter if life's going good for you right now. Bottom line is you're in a world at war. And <clears throat> you're kind of... Every single day, every single moment, deciding on in which of these two kind of worlds you're choosing to live in. And how do, what do you mean, Todd? Well, it's by the way you live your life. It's by what you allow to dictate your actions. It's, it's by what you um, make your decisions through. And what becomes very difficult in our current climate and culture, though it's been around since the early church, is that... Uh, over time, oh, Grant, i got to kill you, buddy. This is driving me nuts. <clears throat> is that over time, I'm just kidding, um, that begins to infect, infect our culture as far as the church. Now, listen, <clears throat> I, I, if you've been here a while, I say this every week, and it's, it's, maybe it's a, uh, what's that word? I don't know, a hurt for mine. But I'm told all the time I don't like Christians, which is ironic because I am one, so I don't like myself, which is true. But sometimes the reason is is because if I tell someone who's seeking Jesus, particularly at the beginning, they, we, they, they, they are open to learning because they realize they don't know. The most dangerous thing for a Christian is the, is the idea that you know. You know everything. And I can't tell you how many well-intentioned Christians are hindering themselves in their faith, they're stuck, they have, uh, things aren't going the way they want them to go, their faith is dead, feels dead, all those types of things. And it's because, if I'm honest, you think you know everything. And here's what I mean by culture wars. See, what's happened is you now interpret God's truth and what you should and shouldn't do by what you believe your God wants you to do. That's subtle. See, we all have a tendency to say, my God, I joke about this, my Jesus you know, God wouldn't want me to do that, but he would want everybody else? What do we mean when we say those things? See, there is one God, one Christ, one Lord over all, right? And he is the one through whom we filter, every, we should filter everything we do. And that's hard to face because we like it our way. So, the reason I pick on you long-term Christians is because you've gotten really good at doing just enough 
to look good to me, to look good to each other, and to look good to, uh, I can't tell me times, well, in my old church we did this, and I'm used to doing it this way, and this is how we did it, and blah, 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 blah. who cares? Because none of that, you could have a successful church, you could, have a, you could look successful on the outside, you could, you could check all the American Christian boxes and still be falling short as far as your sanctification, which means you become more like Jesus. Because you're not really chasing him anymore, you're chasing what you say he is. Now I talked about this last night with some of the interns about how I, can't, I feel like when I try to talk like I really talk, I lose people, not because I'm like smart or anything like that, but because either I can't communicate or, you know, this one, so this is one of those times where if you're with me, I need a nod or something, right? Thank you. <clears throat> it's important. So it's kind of a, ser- a sermon before the sermon. You've got to come into these moments, and it's a mystery, accepting the fact that you don't know everything and expecting that you're going to learn something. Now, if you're going to be reminded of something, right? Say you forget. I don't know. Two plus two equals four. You know it, right? But you, let's say you don't have to face it on a day-to-day basis. It's good to be reminded of a truth that you have known so much that it stops having meaning. I'm talking to you like smart people. So don't, don't let me down. <clears throat> you have to be able to understand that, like, you can know all of these deep mysteries of the faith. But if you don't grasp or want to grasp the simple truths, you're never going to grow. And what do I mean by grow? Whatever that is to you, because the, the bottom line is, like, nobody in this room isn't seeking something. And that's the weird trick of American Christianity is we, we still want Jesus We still want him. We want the relationship with him. But we want it our way. And when it stops being our way, we don't want it anymore. You can't have what you want all the time and what he wants. You can't. Because they don't don't travel together. You know why? Because we stink. So I guess, once again, new folks... This isn't you. You probably are ready to hear, dive in, learn together. You remnant folks, you Christians have been, that got to come and tell me you've been Christians for 47 years, right? Every time I say something, you know everything. Take your earmuffs off, right? Let's see what the Lord has to say. And by the way, on days like today where I got a lot of scripture, the good news is, is that I can't even get in the way because you can get something from the Bible, okay? Now you all nod. Weird. Get out of here. Um, so... We have any strong swimmers in here? Raise your hand if you're a strong swimmer. Two people. Okay, great. <clears throat> the rest of you are lazy or like me and you're not. Uh, um, when I was growing up, when you guys were in elementary school, raise your hand if you like in PE or you had a class where they like took you to the high school. In my school, they did this and taught you how to swim. That was the whole point. Make you better. Raise it high. Don't be afraid. There we go. By the way, hey, you notice this side, how I'm always standing on that side? Right, have you noticed that? I do this. Do you want me to stand on this side more? All right, here's your deal. Be friendlier, okay? <laughs> all right? Because I'd love to come over here and spend some time with you, but you all are like, and then over here, you know, I got, you know, Kaylee and Hannah at least, a couple people, Brandon by himself in the front row, <laughs> okay? So, yeah, swimming. So, that, good. I, then you guys have some, do you guys do that nowadays? Does this happen in your school? Yeah? Mayana, does that happen? I will come down and sit right beside you, Mayana. Does that happen? Did you learn? You go to the Y? 
she thinks she's going to ignore me and I won't come and sit right beside you? <laughs> Eli, nice. He's like, listen, she's on her own this time. Um, yeah, good. They go to the Y. So when I went, they separate. I don't remember how they did it. They, I think they like had us swim across the shallow end or something. And then, I don't know if they do this part anymore, they break you up on how, into groups based on how good a swimmer you are. Nowadays, they'd probably be like, that hurts people's feelings, right? And it was like, in my day, nowadays, they probably name it after animals. Like, hey, a lion is equal to a gazelle. But back then, it was clearly, this is group one, and this is group five. You're number one. You can't swim at all, right? I was clearly in group five. I never knew how to swim. I made it all the way till fifth grade. Um, and I remember, like, tricking people, feeling pretty confident I was going to make it my whole life. And now I have to explain that. I didn't know how to swim. So what happened was, and I don't know if it worked with you guys, this way, when we, we went to the high school, and then high schoolers that were in the advanced PE class advanced, were the ones who taught us, which is a horrible idea, okay? <laughs> All right? That was a terrible idea. It was, right? Because high schoolers are mean. And so we go there, and we get split up, and I remember this guy, and this the first, we don't know how to swim. Like, I, I, maybe I should make this clear. They don't make a, a difference between those who knew how to tread water, at least, and dudes that didn't know how to swim at all. We were still in group five. But that's a big gap because one floats and one sinks. You get what I'm saying? They didn't have a sinking group. So I'm in this group, and he, I still remember this. The guy, he, you know, he just looked so cool, and he was probably some, he's ripped to me back then. And uh, he comes up, and the, literally the first day after we do the test, he goes, all right, everyone. We, we, he goes, follow me. We walk over to the deep end, the deep, deep end. We're talking about the end where they have the, uh, man, what is happening here? See, this is just one of those days, man. Uh, one of the, the deep end, just pretend I'm not seeing us, okay? There we go. <clears throat> the deep end, and <clears throat> we're all standing there, and he goes, all right, jump in. That's what he said, jump in. And I look at him. I don't say anything. I, believe it or not, I was a shy kid. I know that may be hard to believe, and he's like, jump in, and I'm going. It took every bit of courage. I had to take my shirt off to go to this class, right? When you were a thicker kid, that's my nice word for it, all right? A couple of you get it, right? That wasn't a comfortable moment, but I wasn't going to be the guy that's swimming my shirt, so I did it, but it was uncomfortable. So I took all my courage already, and he goes, jump in. So slowly, I'm like, clearly I'm not the only one. We're going to rebel. This is the moment. This is like America against Britain. We're not taking it anymore. No taxation without representation. We are not jumping in. And at that moment, I look around, and people start going, plop, plop. And I'm going, okay, a few of them have caved, but they're the strong few, right, the sinkers, we're going to make it. We're going to stick together. And I look around, and, dude, some of them are jumping in, and they're holding on to the wall, okay? And I'm going, okay. So as I'm talking to you, I'm slowly remembering certain parts, because at first I thought it was just, I, I dove in, and I grabbed the wall. I'm comfortable with this, because he said we could. I remember now. Dive in. Okay, so I dive in. I'm grabbing the wall, all right? <clears throat> and he says, let go. Okay, so I let go a minute, but I can grab it again. I'm good still. I'm like, okay, this isn't too bad. By the way, when I'm in the water, they can't see my chest. It's all good. I, I'm feeling more confident. He says, get out of the water. And then he says, all right, now I want you to go, go on the diving board and just hop off. There's not been a lesson yet. I'm still a sinker. All he's taught me is how to hold a wall. There's no wall on the diving board. So I go up there, and, and we get, and I just stay in line, because if you've ever been in those moments, even nowadays, there's this irrational part of humanity that says, something's going to save me. 
I don't know what it is. Something's going to happen before my turn comes, right? You're kind of hoping. You're looking at the clock. I got to go to the bathroom five times. I get up to it, and it's my turn, and he tells me to get, jump in the water, right? So I say, uh, I just say no. And he goes, get in the water. I said, no. Now, if you, if, if you know me to this day, if, and this is, I'm not bragging about this. If you want me to do anything, it's part of my sin, probably my sin nature, some of God uses. If you come and threaten me, force me, try to bully me into a situation, I won't do it. I don't even care if it's something I like. You could be like, here's a cup of ice-cold Kool-Aid, delightful. Todd, drink it or else, I will kick it over. I'm not going to drink it. So at this point, that's what's happening, and, I'm, and he, it became a battle of wills. It was, and he was mean. He's like, you're going to get in that water. I'm like, no, I'm not. And then he's like, well, I'll push you in. Or he literally said this, and I'm like, no, you won't. So I then run back to the back. Now, now it's becoming a scene. Okay, and he finally goes, fine, if you're not going to get in the water, then go, go inside and change. I was like, okay, so I just went inside and started changing. That's all, right? It makes perfect sense. Thank you. <clears throat> so there's one person, like, I'm with you, yeah. So I go in there, and I'm getting ready to change, and I had a really cool teacher at the time, Mr. Yeager, in case he ever sees this, Mr. Yeager, thank you. He comes in, and he's like, hey, what are you doing, blah, 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 and he's like, don't, you know, let me talk to someone. So I come back, and this other guy comes in. Now, this guy was more my, my speed. He wasn't ripped. Looked like a normal person, okay? He had a belly like me, right? And he's like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Blah, blah, blah. And he asked me to come out there, and I get to join his group. Now, his group wasn't technically group five, okay? But I, I don't really remember everything. But in this group, the same thing happened. And he begins to, when I look back, talk to me. Have, and before I know it, I'm going to skip all this because I've already taken way too long in this story. I'm in the deep end, letting go, hopping in. How did that happen? <clears throat> he talked to me different. He talked to me different. He met me differently. Now, here's the point of my story, though, believe it or not. The point of my story is not that, hey, he spoke to me the way I wanted, right, and I got in the water. That is true. He, he was gentle with me. He knew what I needed in that moment. But you know what's funny at the end of the day? I still had to get in that deep end. There still came a moment when I had to decide whether I was going to do what I needed to do and take a step into that water. So both, both guys ended up in the same place. Do you get what I'm saying? At the end of the day, it was the same place. It's deep, in the deep end. It was still scary. We'll come back to that. One of the biggest obstacles to following Jesus, and I'm talking to you. Before I say that, are you talking to me? Are you meaning me? Yes. Just pretend this is one of those times that you're offended that I'm thinking about you and just say I'm thinking about you, okay? One of the biggest obstacles to you following Jesus in our current climate and culture is the fact that you, say I have we written here because it's offensive to say you, but I'll figure I'll offend you. We've been raised with and you're surrounded by a have it your way mentality. I've said this before, but you're kind of like, yeah, they all do that. No, you do. We want things our way when we want it, and we want the easiest path, not the best. Think about it. Everything in our society today is about making everything take the least amount of effort that it can and get to the same place. We now have cars that drive themselves, right? You imagine the guys who are, like, having to carry loads, and then they're like, wow, we get a wagon with a horse, and then we get two horses, you know, and then three, and now we have a car, and now it's like, you know, that's not enough. We need something to steer the car for us. What's next? I want to take a nap, right, while this drives us where we need to go. 
We want the easiest path, not the best. We settle, and that's not bad. It's not bad to make things easier. But how, have you ever sat and thought, and this is me asking you to put your thinking caps on, how that's affected your expectation of life? If everything's about faster, easier, quicker, even at work, right? Any of you work in factories, you know that. It's constantly trying to do the next thing to simplify the process. And that works. Have you ever had one of the moments when they try to simplify it and you're sitting there going, this is way more work than the old way we did it? But some dude that wrote a book from a different country, right, told you and created some theory and now you're doing this and it doesn't make any sense. We settle in our life based on what the path of least resistance is. We do, because then that starts to affect everything. Then it stops being, well, I don't even really care if it's better for me. Easier equates with better. If it's easier, it's better. And what is typically easier, ready? And we're going to really think. Easier is when I personally have to do the least amount. That's why, listen, that's why some of you want that promotion. Money's number one, but second, it's like that dude sitting in the office with his feet up, at least that's what you think they're doing, that looks pretty nice. That's what I want. Why do you really want that? Because we're lazy. That's okay. We can admit it. We're lazy people. We don't want to move. We don't want to do stuff. Nobody's nodding to that. That's funny, right? Y'all lazy. Me too. <clears throat> Naturally. So what ends up happening is eventually it's like easiest is best. And if something's not easy and it isn't my way and it doesn't come to me, right, we now have DoorDash, Right? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, because it is handy. But like, listen, sometimes we literally pay people to drive two miles to Taco Bell to get us a burrito. Let this sink in. And then I think of our ancestors that marched, you know, across the, what is that, what is that old game called? Oregon Trail, you know, and they're like, someone's dying of diphtheria. And we're like, I can't drive down the road to get a burrito. I need to call someone. You ever think if they saw us, they're like, what have we, what did we do this for? And again, I'm not saying all of that's bad. It isn't. Sometimes easier is good, and it does particularly save us time to do other things, hopefully things that matter more. But I think like any good thing, it becomes a bad thing when it's applied to everything. Now, what's funny is some of you all immediately, and I love it because I'm picking on you, you're like, I don't do that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We all do. Now, again, it's not bad, but how does it affect our faith and our hope and our joy? Because we come to faith, and I think it happens over time, and we start to believe that we are owed things. And that even though we accept that God is God, because every Christian, even, you know, you're saved. I'm not talking about your salvation issue, but you begin to, to, to confuse what's happening. You believe God should be happy with what I give him. He owes me. I went to church when I had the sniffles. He owes me. Right? I'm serious. I gave. I love. I gave to the church. They owe me. I didn't trash the pastor last week. They owe me. We start thinking that it's about Jesus coming to us. Sometimes I even catch, and this isn't wrong because I know what we mean. Like we sit and we're saying, I'm going to show up and you, you better come, Jesus. You owe me. We've got a lot of, uh, s- s- think that, stay with that for a second. All right, let that sink in. 
And I want to I read three, possibly four quick stories, and I want to make a point. I guess I'll give you the punchline now. <clears throat> Who here is struggling in their faith? Just be honest. Feels dead, cold sometimes. Who's struggling in a relationship? I'm not going to think it's your marriage, so you can raise your hand. I'll think it's your grandma, okay? Who's struggling at work? Who feels like sometimes it's like, man, like, I'm just going through the motions. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> and I was talking to the guys about this last night, uh, the interns, and one of the things that I am, guys, outside of you that I am so obsessed with is how this becomes real enough. Like, this has got to be real. Is Jesus the, the living God? Does he live? What's the difference between him being a teacher on a page and a living Messiah right now? And, and to me, what is the difference between those? <clears throat> the thing I've noticed is Jesus still wants to move in our lives, just like he's here. Jesus cares about your marriage. He cares about your hurt. He cares about your pain. He cares about your burden. He cares about your finances. He cares about that thing that you're struggling with. He cares about it. How do I know that? Because if he is the same Jesus, and he is, he's a living Jesus, you can see throughout the Bible God and how many small things he cared about. Because he's your God, too, not just ours, but he's not your God in the sense of he's your personal God and he does things your way. I mean in the fact that he has a personal relationship with you. So if that's the case and Jesus still moves, why are you where you're at? Why does it feel dead? Why does it feel boring? Why does it feel dry? Why does it not feel you know, why isn't he moving in these areas in your life that you want to move? Why are you still stuck in this sin? Why are you still stuck in this loneliness? Why are you still stuck in this terrible marriage? Why are you still stuck in discontent? Why? That should be the stuff that we, we have to be wondering. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what, what I think is happening a lot of times. You're waiting for him to come to you. Now, those of you that immediately got upset and go, my Jesus does come to me. You're making my point for me. You, there are places Jesus went, but there are places that Jesus didn't. And the reality is, if you want something from Jesus, you've got to be willing to walk towards him. Well, I do walk towards him. I worship every week. And I do walk towards him, and I give offering every week. And I do walk towards him, and I forgive some people. Do you love your enemies? Do you love your wife? Do you submit to your husband? The time's coming, ladies, when I'm going to preach to you. And I already know the reason most men don't do that is because you, you then will tell your husbands not to come, and your husbands are wusses, and they're not going to come anymore. That's just reality. No offense, man. I'm one of them. I can say that. You're a wuss sometimes because you want to take the path of least resistance, right? But, uh, you ever think about that? I've told this before. Type into Google... What to do with an unsubmissive, disrespectful wife? See how many articles there are. I found one on seven pages. Even when I type that in, guess what pulls up immediately? What to do with an unloving husband? What to do with a sinful husband? Blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> <clears throat> I 
we have to step towards him. What does that mean? We'll talk about that in a second. But I want to talk, uh, I want to give these stories and, and hopefully it'll give some context. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It's a pretty famous chapter, right? <clears throat> who, knows, who knows John 3.16? Even old non-Christian taught me that. If you didn't, it's okay, right? I had to go to Sunday school and memorize it for a piece of candy, so I did. I had no idea what it meant. <clears throat> so before I start reading this, it's a really fascinating story. And it happened. So Jesus is going around, and he's beginning to perform miracles, and things are happening, and he's teaching as one who had authority. And the Pharisees, guess who that, before I get to that, guess who, I already gave you a clue, but guess whose authority that challenges? Well, it challenges who's in charge. If my job in a church, in the temple, is to be the guy that tells you what God says, right? <clears throat> and some dude comes along and says, hey, you got to worship in spirit and truth, you got to do this. Don't listen to those guys, right? Do what they say, not what they do. All these things. All of a sudden, you're threatening my authority. I'm the teacher. You've got to go through all of my classes to be the, to be the teacher, which means you got to go be programmed. So you say the same thing. And Jesus comes along, this wild man, and he starts saying these offensive things. And we get this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a teacher. He's, in the, he's, he's a Pharisee. He's the man. How do I put that into words? Some of you understand. He's a really good, popular pastor that everybody trusts. Okay? <clears throat> now, already had been happening that if you are a good pastor, let's use this as an analogy, and everybody's going to be like, yeah, we do that, right? You're a good ministry leader. Are you going to be seen with uh, the town drunk? This is where I, I'm going to literally offend some of you all. Don't stink and lie to me. No, you're not. You're not. Most of the time, you at least have that thought in your head, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to be seen with them, right? Unless you're ministering to them, right? If you're ministering to them, if you're the good person helping the bad people, you can go hang out with them, but otherwise not. It's the same kind of thing. He wasn't a drunk, but he was a pariah. He was the guy that's like, that guy's bad. He's speaking, this guy is not a good Jew. We should not be associated with him. In fact, it was, we know later that anybody that was associated with Jesus, they would kick out of the synagogue. You couldn't worship at the temple anymore. There was a cost. There was a guy named Nicodemus who's a Pharisee, and he starts being intrigued by Jesus. He wants to know more, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. Starting in verse 1, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, if it says a ruler of the Jews, he's not just a Pharisee. He's like one of the main guys, right? He's, he's, he's a big deal. This man came to him at night. Why do you think he came to him at night? So nobody sees him. He don't want anybody to know he's talking to him, but, because we typically judge this, but what did he do at night? What did he do at night? came to him and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. It's pretty powerful. He calls him rabbi too, so a teacher is calling this man a teacher. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. They're just sitting alone. The chosen does a good job with this scene. Kind of, they're off alone, you know, on a rooftop away from everyone talking. How can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Now, by the way, we have the benefit of hindsight. We're all like, what a silly question. If somebody comes and said, you have to be born again, you would ask the saint, what are you talking about? I can't go back in my mother, right? That's awkward. 
Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Anybody confused by all that? Good. I'm not going to talk about it today because it's good for you to relate to Nicodemus. He then says, how can these things be? Let me paraphrase. What are you talking about? (laughs) And then he says this to him. Remember, he's already humbled himself to come to him and call him a teacher. And Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? I thought you were a teacher. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony, our. Man, there's so much to teach here. I just don't have time. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now remember, he said, Nicodemus said to him earlier, no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So in a way, you're like, wow, he should be honored because I'm seeing God's with him. And then Jesus said, no, you're not getting it. I am him, we, our, right? He's leading into this. I'm going to skip something because it's not my point. Go to verse 16. 15, actually, so that everyone who believes in it may have eternal life. 16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light is coming to the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But everyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his words may be shown to be accomplished by God. There's so much here. And man, the teacher in me wants to like go into all this, but it's a whole different sermon. But here's my main point. This guy comes to him. He's not an ally. By the way, we don't get any indication Nicodemus is saved here. He's not. Well, I heard he is later. Later. He's not right here. He comes here. He does not believe. Okay, right now, he doesn't accept it, but he comes to Jesus the best he can in the middle of the night, and Jesus gives to him, when he said, man, I want something for you, the gospel. As clear a day, the first time, we get the full gospel, really, right? We get repent, return to the kingdom, this is it. This is what we tell people all the time. If you have to give a verse to someone about the gospel, this is it. So this Pharisee who didn't believe but wanted an answer, came to Jesus, and Jesus told him the gospel when he hadn't made it this clear, even though he doesn't get it, to anybody else. Remember that. Moving on. Jesus is running around. He's beginning to heal. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Jesus is healing. He's doing miracles. And... A Roman soldier, one of the people who have who conquered the Jewish people, right? They they are the empire. They are certainly not even Jews. They don't believe in the same gods. They believe in Jupiter and all these things. Comes to him. Start in verse one. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered he entered uh, Capernaum. A centurion servant. A centurion is a professional soldier who was highly valued by him, by the servant, I mean, sorry, by the soldier, was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. 
When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So this centurion doesn't even come to him. He sends his Jewish people. Why would the Jewish elders do this? Well, one, it's beneficial if you can get the soldier on your side, right? But also because apparently he was nicer than a lot of the other Romans were to the Jewish people. He wasn't just smacking them around hating him. So what happens? Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him. Sent friends. Lord, don't trouble yourself since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. This centurion heard of Jesus, hadn't seen it. Had not seen it, heard. Sent people to him. On the way there, he sends someone else. Another buddy goes like, dude, I, I'm starting to panic. Go tell him to, not to come here. He doesn't, I'm not worthy of that. But that if he, I know that he has the power that if he just says it to happen, it'll happen. What, so something got in the way of him wanting to go directly to him, what? His view of himself, um, what he thought society would say what he thought Jesus would say to him, but at the end of the day, he took a step towards Jesus. And Jesus responded by saying, I tell you, I've not found so great a faith even in Israel, even with, among the Jewish people. That would have been shocking. You're saying this guy has more faith than us? And he had a miracle. Keep moving. I know. You're like, what's happening here, Todd? I'll tell you. Luke, next chapter, chapter 8, starting at verse 40. Jesus is still healing. This is a big, P.S., my first sermon ever was on this section. I did this in seminary. Weird story. I'm not going to do the whole thing today, but just a little aside for you. When Jesus returned, I just picked a section. I don't know why I picked this. And looking back on it, I was horribly wrong about most of it. Anyway, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. There we go again. He fell down at Jesus' feet. This is in front of the crowd. Do you think that would have an effect? Would that cost him something? Finally, one person's listening. Thank you. Yes, it would. He, was, he fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he, he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. He cared about his daughter more than he cared about the way he looked. He cared about his need more than he cared about his appearance or the presentation. Anyway, we're not, we'll come back to him. While he was going, so he makes his way there. The crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Lady, ladies, imagine that time of the month you have that's rough for 12 years straight. Not only would that be miserable and uncomfortable, she was unclean. She would not have been able to be touched. She would have been an outcast, a pariah. This was happening to her because she was sinful. Remember what we talked about if you've been here long enough? Unclean was like a disease to them. You could catch it. 12 years, 12 years. Do you think she tried other things? Guarantee she had. <clears throat> a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Ooh. You're her, you're unclean. 
You don't come to him. Why do you think she didn't come to him? I'm unclean. He's not going to answer. But if I can get to him, if I can just touch him, and then he says, who touched me? What do you think she was thinking he was going to say to her? We said, you're in trouble, right? How dare you touch me? Some, <clears throat> when they all denied it, here goes big mouth Peter, man. I relate, right? Master. He's like, in his mind, he's going, Jesus, you silly goose. Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Pretty much really saying, you were touched by a bunch of people. What are you talking about? Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling. Why do you think she was trembling? Scared. And fell down before him. In the presence of all the people. Please pay attention. Put yourself there. In the presence of all the people at your factory, at your church, on the street. This was on the street. She declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. So she told him, I was unclean. She might have even said that. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're not done yet. Remember, he was on his way somewhere. When he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus is still there. Jairus is still there. I'm sure he's like, we can't stop for this woman. Why are we stopping for this unclean woman? Remember, he's the leader of the synagogue. It's too late now. And somebody goes, hey, there ain't no point bothering the guy anymore. She's dead. When Jesus heard it, he answered him. He looks at Jairus, right? I think. Him. Who's him? Don't be afraid. Only believe and she'll be saved. And after he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. So Jairus. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, stop crying because she's not dead but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called, child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. 56, her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what happened. Why did he do this? His time wasn't there yet. You know, we'll get to that. But I try to break these down so he, he, Jairus is with him, the woman, and we get this moment, hey, your faith has made you well. You don't have to be. Your, your faith. What do you mean my faith? I'm unclean. God doesn't hear from me. Your faith has made you well in front of everyone. Jairus, he looks at him and says, he's already, Jairus has already taken a big risk coming to him, right? And falling on his face and saying, I need you. I need you. I'll need you. I, this is worth it. So he, he comes to Jesus. They come to him and say he's already dead. And then Jesus looks at him at this point, right, and says, you've got to believe. Now, Jairus, if you're like a lot of us in this room, had a choice, Many of us would have thrown a fit and say, what are you talking about? It's too late, and we'd have stormed off angry because we didn't see any other way. What we expected to happen was done. So Jairus had another moment here, another choice where he could what? Take a step towards Jesus, a step of following him, even though it didn't make sense. And what happened? He saw a miracle, and he got his need met. Did it happen the way he wanted? He wanted his daughter to be healed. His daughter got brought back from the dead. I'm going to go home. You guys aren't getting this. You think that's just a story? I bet a lot of times you live in that reality, like this is just a nice story. It's not. You gotta, it's, it's all true or none of it is. And then here's a famous story. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 20, I'm sorry, 22 and 33. Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 23. When you got to say, I got it. Nice. It'll be on the screen. Immediately he, who's he? 
Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray well into the night he was there alone. He didn't go with him. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against him. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come join you on the water. He said, come. After, and climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. When did he walk on water? Don't overthink it. It's right there in the words. When did he, what says it? When did he walk onto water? When he what? Yeah. But when, but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. Jesus is on the water walking towards him. Once again, your Christian is here much. You've heard this a thousand times since you were four, so you think you know. Let's know again. So he's on the water. Notice what didn't happen. What if Peter had said, all right, it's, if it's you, make your way over to this boat. If it's you, make your way over to this boat. Take a nap. No. He said, I want to know. I want to know what you are. I want to see what you are. I want to, I want to see that it's you. So Jesus said, come. So in order to experience the miracle and the proof that Jesus was who he said he was, he had to step out onto the water. Now, all you Christians go, I would do that. No, you wouldn't. You know how I know? Because you don't even forgive the person that wrongs you. You think you're going to walk on water? You think you're going to walk on water when you don't even love your wife? You think you're going to walk on water when you don't even love God enough not to touch your girlfriend in those places you shouldn't touch her? You think you, you love God enough, but you can't say no to something you want? That's just reality. So you th- but you think you'd step out on water. You can't even take the risk of your pride dying. You think you're going to take the risk of your life. You know, for all the stuff that Peter gets a bad rap, you're not Peter. Because for all of Peter's flaws, Peter was willing to take the risk. Now, what happened? We all know, I could give you the whole sermon, we've all heard it, and it's true. When he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink, that's true. But you know what's interesting? He didn't call out to his friends, help me, guys. He didn't try to start swimming himself. He didn't look for a piece of driftwood He said, Jesus, help me. Help me. Why? Because he believed he could and he believed he would. What if he didn't? Then he would have wasted, oh my gosh, I've wasted the time. I could have been swimming toward the boat. Are you with me? I could have been swimming toward the boat. I wasted time. And the story could have ended there, and he would have died. And if he would have just turned around and and used that energy to get to the boat, maybe he could have pulled himself back up. And that's some of you. You'd rather take the chance swimming yourself in the stormy sea than reach a hand out to Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I don't want to leave you with that. Every story here, something I've noticed, 
Jesus did come to people, okay? But not the way you think. He came to the Samaritan woman, one of my favorite stories, but not because of what you think. He did not let that woman off the hook. She tried to insult him, call him out, make him mad, tell him to get away, and he just sat there. What would have happened if she'd have walked away? We already know. He didn't chase her. The man at the pool who couldn't walk, he was a paralytic. Jesus came to him, didn't he? Do you know that? If you don't know that story, another great story. Years this man had been trying to walk, couldn't walk. He thought if I could make it down to the magic waters and touch it, then I could, I could walk, right? Because miracles sometimes happen there. But his excuse was by the time he crawled down there, the water had stopped and the miracle wasn't there. So Jesus comes to him. What's going on? And says, do you want to be healed? So you think, oh, see, some of you think that's the story. He came to me when I needed him. I don't have to ask. But the man still had to answer. The man still had to take the step toward Jesus. You see, Jesus loves you so much, and it makes no sense, that he wants you to trust him. And the only way to trust him is to find out, will you rely on him and go towards him? Not in some ways. But typically, it's going to be shown, are you willing to do it when it has a cost? If you don't know what I mean yet, hopefully you will by the end. Listen, every one of the stories that is shared, every person, and not, this is what God does. Did he tell Moses, hey, why don't you go to your tent, and I'll come down to you and give you the tablets? No. He said, I want you to do this. Come up to this mountain alone. Take your shoes off because you don't realize where you're, where you're headed, Right? The burning bush didn't come to Moses. He came to the burning bush. We go to God. And here's the thing. Some of you have been fooled by this culture in a very subtle arrogance to think that you're humble because you believe he's the life giver, but you think the life giver comes to you, not you go to him. What does that mean specifically? Each person made a step towards Jesus, and when they did, guys, listen, something miraculous happened. Every one of these people cared more about knowing him and knowing his power, having the need met, than they did about their reputation, being told no, their fear, their pride, their anxiety, their control, their religion. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. Some of you are in this place, and me too, and you, you want change, but you don't want change enough to do it his way. It has to be his way. Because what did he tell Nicodemus? He is the light, and we're afraid of the light. We are. They realize, all these people that in these stories realize that if they wanted the answer, the miracle, they couldn't sit around. They had to go to the miracle worker. They had to take the step toward Jesus. And here's the scary thing. Jairus probably thought, I've already took a big enough step by falling down in front of him. Now, no, now you got to walk with me okay, I fell in front of you, but now if I walk with you, all the people are going to see me with you. You don't think he had those thoughts? He's a human. Then he had to make the decision, will I keep following when it doesn't make sense now? Will I keep stepping with you even though everything I thought was going to happen isn't going to happen? She's dead. Jesus doesn't force his wisdom on us. He doesn't force the miracles on us. Do you know why? Why? Because what he wants more than anything is a relationship with you built on trust and faith. And that can't happen just your way. 
We have a choice. You have a choice. We can come to him and trust him, or we can continue to try it our way. And the problem in the American church and the culture that we're in that is, that is infected, it is that we can kind of have both. We can have a hype spiritual moment on a Sunday that makes it feel like I'm close to him, but not actually do anything that he tells us to do. And this is going to be deep. See, some of you are basing your faith on the person next to you. So you think you're really good with Jesus, and you're close, well, you're good with him because of his relationship, but you, you're, you're mature in your faith because you don't smoke, cuss, drink. You go to church, you give offering. But what's so awesome about Jesus, and this is what I know about this Samaritan, he doesn't let you off the hook. He wants what you're not willing to give, and he's always going to push you in the areas that aren't like him. So you ready? And this is some of you. Am I talking to you? Yeah. Those of you that aren't in any community because it hurts you, you're not in any community and you justify it by saying, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do this. You're not obeying him. You're not putting yourself in a position to love other people. And you're saying it's what, for what reason? Because they're mean or this or I got hurt. I don't have to. My anxiety. That's, those are real things. But you've been told that what you feel is number one and what God wants is number two. That's not truth. Your faith, your life, your marriage, your, your, your friendships, the, the, the thing that you settled for is not because God's holding out on you. It's because you're holding out on him. You're not obeying and you think you're good because you, you know, some of you, you come to the altar and worship and you're better than the person in the back that doesn't. Well, you can come down here every time and it's a beautiful thing all day long, but if you aren't willing to step in the areas he's telling you to step, then you're no different than the person sitting in the chair. That's the reality. And the thing is, he's not mad. How long do you want to keep going your way? Now, some of you, it's the opposite. You want to sit there and say, man, I, I'm just like him. You would never come to him and fall on your knees in front of everyone. Because you can't come to the altar. You can't come and get prayer for someone. Some of you in this room have been at this church for 10 years and have never one time come up for prayer. It isn't like a wreck. I just find it hard to believe that the Holy Spirit has never convicted you one time to go confess something or ask for prayer. If that hasn't happened, I'm going to challenge you right now. What's the real reason you're not? I don't have to. Who's telling you that? Because nobody's telling you you have to. God still moves and he still answers and it has to be that way. But we have to take steps towards Jesus. Listen, this is it. This is my climax. You ready, Jacob? This, we have to take steps towards Jesus. Where is Jesus? Where is he? How do I take a step? I'm here, okay. He's in the obedience. He's at the church. He's at the altar. He's feeding the poor. He's forgiving people. He's loving your wife. He's submitting to your husband. He's in the repentance. He's in the obedience. Obedience is not, man, this is, this is deep. This is what I meant. It doesn't mean the things you're doing aren't pleasing to him. Okay? The person who comes up every week but doesn't go into community. The person that serves but doesn't give. The point is you're still holding on to fear. You still don't want what he has more than you don't want to lose what you have. That's deep. Whether that's your status, whether it's the possibility you get hurt again, whether it's 
your reputation, whether it's your time. We have, we try to have it our way while still having the benefits of Jesus' way. We want to walk on water while sitting on his shore. You can't do it. If you want to see miracles, if you want to see movement, and I say this, and I, I, man, God does still move. And because I know it's not him, it's never him, because he is good and holy and true and faithful, then it has to be us. And this is hard because you don't want to hear that. It has to be you. What are you not doing? And maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's the smallest thing. That's okay. But my guess is everyone in this room has an area that you know I haven't been going to him. I've been trying to do it my way. I've been trying to please everybody else while still having him. I've been trying to keep my pride and have a good marriage. I've been trying to uh, on and on and on. I'm trying to be successful and be close to him because sometimes you can't do both. At least by the world standards. He's in telling people about the gospel. He's in the obedience. And a lot of the hope that we've given up is we've given up that he's still going to move in our lives. And, and it's not always pride. Some of you, it's, it's you listen to the friend that came and said, hey, there's no point in him coming now. It's too late. Don't bother the master anymore. You would not believe how many people, and it's probably some in this room, I have heard long-term Christians that live under this follow, the following lie. He's got bigger things to worry about. Are you kidding me? You think he can't handle? He's done a pretty decent job of keeping the stars in the sky and the earth spinning. I think he can handle the little extra weight of your life. Right? We look around and like we wonder why the world laughs at us and we wonder why people don't take us seriously. They don't take us seriously because we don't believe him. And we, or if we believe him, we allow our fear to overwhelm our faith. And we rob the world of seeing miracles in your life, the testimony of your life. So obsessed with me, 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 I, I, I. And everybody does it to a degree, but when it's, when it's an entrenched long-term habit, that you do things your way, and you already know. If you're a believer in the room and the Holy Spirit's pricking you, you might be coming up with all the reasons why this isn't true, but you know. What does he want? Like, where are you not willing to go to find him? To find the miracle, to see the move. You're just going to keep singing, right? I'll sing it every week. you got to move. I'm, and I'm talking to myself. I've been hurt a lot. And I don't know, if you're like me a lot of times, you know, it's funny. The world, particularly the church, when you make a mistake, okay, the world, the, the church, the world doesn't do this weirdly. A lot of times the church doesn't ever want you to forget, do they? And you know why they don't? Because they're afraid you're going to do it again. So if they keep you scared all the time, they can, like, scare you straight. But if you really love Jesus, and I believe you do, you know and I know that you don't need to be reminded, do you? You do a good enough job of that on your own. And every day we live in that. And then you start to justify, well, I don't deserve anything better than I have. So I stop going to him sometimes. I stop thinking he's still going to move because I'm like, 
I don't want to lose what I have. And, and, and if he, like, it's almost kind of like if I'm a quiet kid in class. As long as I don't cause a problem, then I won't lose what I have, right? Do you get what I'm saying? I do that because I've been hurt, and you Christians hurt me all the time. If I were to base this solely on you, God bless you. I've seen some of the most beautiful things in the world. Not you guys, right? It is the other ones usually, but y'all mean. And I know people are mean and they're wrong, but that's the thing. It's like this can't be built on people. They, right? He, I mean, he is the miracle worker. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God still directly intervenes in this world. Some of you don't. You know how I know? Because you fall asleep during the message. <laughs> but if I was paying you to stay awake, I bet you would. But then you wonder, why is my faith not strong? Right? That's because you think my job's to entertain you. You came here looking for him. So the question is, and I mean this in whatever ways you want, and we're talking about culture wars, I guess, you know, if I, you can believe the version of, the, of, of this faith that says it's just a book. That's good. There's good advice in it. Or you can believe that you serve the living God, the God, right? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is your God. He still moves and lives and interacts and saves. What are you waiting for? Because what you're doing now, most of you in this room raised your hand and said, man, there's something going on in my life that, like, it doesn't feel full, alive. It feels empty. It feels hard, right? What aren't you doing right now if you're honest? What aren't you trusting him with? What aren't you inviting him into? What aren't you stepping towards him in? Because your mom, your dad, your friend, the crowd's telling you no, or you're telling you no, or you know it's going to have a cost because people are going to see you do it. The miracles are not there. The miracles are where he's at. And where is he at? Most of the time, he's in that place that you're scared to go to or you don't want to go to. That's where the good stuff is. So what are you waiting for? What areas have you been demanding Jesus come to you instead of you go to him? I'll forgive, Lord, as soon as they do what I want them to do. I'll love my wife as soon as she respects me. I'll respect my husband as soon as he loves me. I'll obey my parents as soon as they do what I want, as soon as they agree with me. Are you here for Jesus? Are you just here? What are you willing to do to have, like right now, if you knew right now, let's just say it. This isn't some great message, but let's say right now, today, he's sitting there, he's across the room, right? He's, he's on the water, and you have that need. You all raised your hand and said you want him to move in your life. What are you willing to do today? Not tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to change. What are you going to do today to step towards him? To have him move in your life, to have him heal whatever it is you need to restore. And I can't promise it's always going to go the way you want, right? Jairus thought it was going to go one way. It went a different way, but it was a good way. And that's what faith is, is trusting that his way is good and perfect and true when we don't always see the end result. 
That's easy when you're not in the valleys, right? It's a lot harder when it's dark and scary and the whole crowd is saying you don't have to do it that way. There's not going to be anyone physically playing music today, but during this altar time, there's going to be music playing. And it's a chance for you to respond however you respond. I don't have fancy words today. I don't know. But I know that I'm with you, that I want to follow Jesus, that I, that I watch the chosen sometimes, and there's people out there criticizing that. And I watch these things, and I'm like, man, that's what I want. I remember a family member who said they watched that, and he's like, man, it's like I feel like Jesus is calling me to follow him. I'm like, yeah. He goes, no, you don't get it. I mean, literally, he wants me to come and follow him. I go, he is. That is what he wants. He's still doing that. He's asking you today to follow him. And you're probably saying, well, I have been. And you probably have. You're here today. But where do you stop? What is he wanting you to do that you're afraid to do? Right? Or have you given up that he can move in? So you're going to have that opportunity today to ask Jesus to tangibly move in your life because he can and he will. I'm going to say this again. Jesus Christ is still Lord of Lords, King of Kings, right? the living God, the Messiah, the Savior, the light of the world. He's still willing to do what you need him to do, but you have to move towards him and you have to ask him. And then here's the crazy thing. When he tells you to do something crazy when you ask him, because he will, like sometimes it's just like, follow me. You're like, whoa, 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 I thought you were just going to like do it here, right? Hey, feed all these people with these couple of fish. Whoa, 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 I thought we had a different plan here. If you want to see the miracle, you sometimes got to do the thing that seems crazy. So that's your opportunity today. If you don't know Jesus, it's real simple. We are lost without God. You're separated from God. You know this life is broken and messed up. You know you're broken and messed up. Some of you in this room that are members of this church, I believe I'm concerned or saved. If you can't remember a moment that you have actually out loud asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and confessed your sins to him, you, you, how are you sure? I'm talking to members of this church. And you think being a member of this church has saved you, and that's why your life shows no evidence of change. Because I can't, I can't see your soul. And you're not going to do it now because then people are going to wonder. And that's the problem. You care more about what they think than, than your eternity. And the people in this room, if you don't know the gospel, I'm trying to see if we got any folks brand new, I always assume, right? Here's the gospel. God wants us to follow him, have a relationship with him, to obey him, to recognize him as God and him as God alone. And we denied him that. We said no, and because of that, sin entered the world. And sin is a disease, and it's run rampant, and it's all the actions we do too. We are guilty before a holy God. We are guilty before a good judge. And because of that, um, we are <laughs> we're in trouble. So you can kind of sit around and wait until you die because you're going to die. And then find out the truth and say, man, I, maybe I'm good enough. Well, the standard's perfection and you're not. So when we couldn't come to God, this is what's crazy. He already moved towards us. God invaded this earth. Jesus Christ is God made flesh, son of God. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He told us how to live, and he did something incredible. He died on the cross for your sins and mine, was raised from the dead on the third day. And the Bible says, if you believe he is who he said he was, you come to him with your burdens and your sins. You say, Lord, forgive me. I want it. 
If you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You have an opportunity to do that today. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in. Because if you do, you are choosing to stay where you're at. That's not his fault.